like your health care plan. You'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our second segment. And I'm really excited about this guest tonight. I have to tell you, how did we book this guest? Uh, one of our listeners by the name of Linda, I won't mention her last name, but she sends me a lot of emails. She's an interesting person and is very active in the world of politics and on newsworthy items. She writes long emails, sends them out. And she said, Jim, I heard a guy who did an interview about his upbringing in communism and how he escaped from communism. And it was a fascinating interview and you need to have him on your show. Two or three months went by. I gave the information to my producer and uh, lo and behold, He's with us tonight, and I want to, before we bring him on, read from the back of his book here. The book is called Escape from Communism, A True Story and Commentary, and uh, it says here, Life under communism is cruel and inhumane. Commit the smallest political infraction, and the secret police will arrest you. The only ray of hope is the West, but getting out from communism is difficult. Communist countries have a Berlin Wall around them. It is a crime to escape by crossing the border illegally, and anyone caught is beaten and imprisoned, sometimes even shot. I understand that it's okay, Dumitru, to call you Mitt. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, very good. And, and your sound it's, just... It's easier just, to pronounce uh, Mitt than Dumitru. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Now, um, I thought we could start in a little bit of a different part of the book, because I want to hear your whole story and we're going to have plenty of time for that. But for young people today, I felt this was so important because there's this idea that somehow the United States is evil. And, and let's be honest, the United States is not perfect. No place is perfect. But this idea that socialism might be better or even communism could be better uh, th these are uh, young people that are just uh, obviously ignorant of what that really means. Uh, I wanted you to explain to us what is communism and how does it differ from socialism in, in terms of just a real uh, your own experience of living in it. We'll get into that momentarily. But what does that look like when you wake up in the morning if you live in a communist country? Uh, well, I lived in both systems. Uh, Romania started as a socialist country, and then it progressed into communism. And uh, under socialism, it allows a certain amount of property, private property, to be held by the citizens. And uh, the power is not completely in the, in the hands of the socialists. However, they will not uh, hesitate to nationalize all the big industry, all the media, uh, because their goal is to become a totalitarian system. Uh, socialism does not work for a simple, simple reason. It forbids profit. And when people cannot profit, they have no incentive to work. And when they don't have any incentive to work, 
what's going to happen to the whole industry, to the whole welfare of this nation is going to go down. And that's how the misery starts. And now, it's just uh, hu- it's, it's just human nature. I, I even I remember as a young person when I was in school, when we'd have a project and they would say, you have to be with four or five other people. I remember uh, nobody wanted to do the work, so I had to do all the work. And I then the next time around, I didn't want to be with those four or five people in my group because I ended up having to do all the work. And this is what happens in real life. Uh, everyone, if there's no reason to work and you get to be a part of the group and get the same benefit, no one will want to work in the end. Yes, and uh, and it's, it's human nature. We're not bees. We're not ants. That's social discourse perfect for bees and ants, but not for humans. Uh, when you're at work, you strive to do better because you're looking forward to get a better raise than the next fellow who's playing office. Well, under socialism, because everyone works for the government, for the state, uh, no one has an incentive to do any better because everybody's paid the same. So why try harder when the loafer and the hard worker gets paid the same? Now, yeah, exactly. as I was saying, uh, uh, the thing about socialists is that uh, pretty soon, the, if the people can vote freely, socialists will be voted out. They cannot afford that. Socialists cannot exist in a democr- democracy. They have to progress toward totalitarianism. And when they do that, they eventually going to get rid of all the other parties and the communists, which, are, by the way, are embedded into the socialist system, the most conniving and the most evil people you can ever imagine. But, and by the way, it's not only communists. It's, it's, there are certain people which are that way. But communists makes it perfect for these maggots to grow inside it. And I'm sorry to use such a harsh word because that's how they are. And eventually they get in total power of the government. They will be able to get rid of all the opposition. First thing they'll do, uh, even the socialists, will confiscate all the guns. They want no opposition from anyone, period. They're the only one which have the guns. What a timely uh, point, especially two. with uh, what's going on this weekend. Uh, everybody and, and, talking and, and, about these, these shootings, which are terrible, but, uh, you know, an excuse to take away the guns. Exactly. And unfortunately, it plays right into their hands. And uh, uh, the media, which, by the way, right now in the United States is, is mind-boggling what's going on. Just to give you an example, um, I'm watching the, the news, and I'm watching CNN and MSNBC, and I, I don't believe what I'm hearing. Then I'm uh, listening to Fox, and it's a different story. And then it dawned on me, because when I was in, back in Romania under communist, communists, uh, we were listening to Radio Free Europe and Voice of America to hear the truth. Because all the news was fake. The government owned all the media stations, and they constantly told us what a great life we have. So we are hearing, you know, like a breath of fresh air, what was going on in the West, and they hear the truth about what's going on in the world. Well, I feel today that we're the same way. Fox is Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, and MSNBC and CNN are the communist socialist channels yeah interesting take the guns take over the media uh we're we're right on a slippery slope for both of those things to possibly happen 
Yes, and uh, all this happened, in my opinion, and of course, and it's not my opinion, obviously, I heard it uh, over other uh, TV stations and radio and so on, and from the books I read. Uh, the, the formula for the uh, socialists and communists to take over was that the country was doing so poorly that someone had to save it. To, you know, they were, the rich were extremely rich and the poor were everybody else. Well, the United States was not that case. Everybody's doing well. In spite of the propaganda that we have so much poverty and the difference between the very rich and very poor is extreme, the poorest person in the United States lived better than I was living in my family back in Romania, to get an idea. And we were considered middle class back in Romania. And we were poorer right. than the poor people here in the United States. So this is why I this is why I tell people, Mitt, if you want to really see what these other countries are like, travel to them and, and see and, and, and find out why is everyone trying to get into the United States? I mean, if they if it was so wonderful in some of these countries like Venezuela, why are they all trying yeah. to come here? You know, it, but this is it, it is uh, it is sort of almost like it lacks any type of intellectual processing that these people have, because it makes no sense. Just as you said, the poorest people here in the U.S. are rich compared by the, these same standards in any other country in the world. Again, there's things maybe this country can improve on. In no, no place is perfect, but uh, when you when you see uh, these people trying to escape, get out of these places and come here, and then you have the ignorant uh, millennials in many cases, some of these uh, individuals, these these new young uh, Congress women, uh, suggesting that uh, we need to uh, look to socialism and we need to look to other countries for the way it should be done. It just points out their own ignorance. Now, in your case. Let's get a little bit into your story because you're not talking about this as a, you know, philosophical adventure here. This is your actual life that you lived. And before uh, the Soviet Union was broken up, a lot of young people don't even know this today, uh, that modern day Russia was uh, many of these small countries were all part of, of Russia, uh, the Soviet Union. And uh, the East Bloc countries, as they were known, that is where you grew up. And that was still during the days of the Soviet Union. Uh, tell us about your upbringing. Okay. Well, first, just a quick uh, history. Uh, Romania, like all the Eastern Europe, were democratic countries. Came the World War II, the Russians invaded Eastern Europe. And after the war ended... Then the Russians, with Joseph Stalin, imposed socialists through voter fraud on all those countries. Now, those countries are Poland, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, and so on. So those countries were uh, brought into socialist complements of uh, Joseph Stalin. Now, once the socialists got into power, there were certain priorities. First, as I mentioned, was to take away the guns uh, and then the media. Then the next was to imprison all the uh, political uh, opposition. They were uh, brought up on charges, on trumped up charges like uh, collusion with the United States against a fair election. Uh, 
uh, all kind of fabricated uh, uh, lies. Well, again, again, that people... hits home. That hits home with what's going on here. Uh, falsely accusing I, uh, Trump of, of of collusion. What about that? Right. <laughs> It's it's incredible what the similarities exist when I'm watching on TV the the Democrats in the Congress and what they're trying to say. I said, I don't believe this. This is 1948 all over. And the opposition then is thrown in in prison, and over time, the people forget about them. They they get executed. They they basically kill them. Um, Then um, the next thing is to consolidate their power, their economic power. And uh, that's when they move against the wealthy people. Uh, now, at the beginning, the country was socialist, and therefore only the major industries and large buildings and large land, uh, pieces of land and so on were expropriated, confiscated, stolen. Uh, but as they uh, consolidated their power, they went down where they took the, every single store in sight. If the guy had a shoe repair shop, that became state property. Now, when they confiscated all this, uh, uh, all this industry, all this economy, they didn't put the old owners in charge to work for them. Uh, the wealthier they, uh, they were, the, the worst off they fared. Uh, as a matter of fact, my uh, mother's parents, grandfather, uh, he built from nothing a flour mill, an oil factory, and he became wealthy. They confiscated everything, and they were lucky that they were not sent to the Romanian gulag, where they were worked to death, famished and worked to death. Hardly anyone came back from those gulags. And that was uh, punishment for being the people who provided jobs, provide, I mean, the country was prosperous, and so on. They got rid of all these prosperous people, and all the, uh, how can I say, agitators, a la Cortez, became the hero of the people and in charge of everything. And what so, about religion? Because, where, where does religion uh, fall into this? We have a very large Christian audience. Uh, at what stage do they say no more individual religions? Um, this is a very good question because socialists cannot compete with God. You have to realize that socialists, communists, is a um, atheist religion. They cannot have God against them or with them. They do not. Uh, uh, they, first of all, they deny God, and they cannot afford the people to be religious and believe in God. And therefore, based on on their beliefs, they could fight and uh, resist socialism. So, for what they will be doing. Uh, and like Stalin, what Stalin did went in and demolished churches. Well, in Romania, it didn't happen that way. Uh, probably because of some international agreements or whatever it was. But religion was not taught in school. Uh, I am Christian. I was baptized Christian because of my grandparents and my parents. But I did not have any religious education. As it happened, later on in life, when I became a teenager, our way to protest communists was to go to, to church. In other words, I'll show you. You, you don't think that uh, uh, God exists? Well, we go to church. See how you like that. And that was uh-huh. one form of resistance. And, and by the way, in Poland, had a major uh, influence on Poland, uh, what Polish people did because of the Catholic religion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the, the religious taking away the guns... Uh, 
taking away religion, taking away the ability to privately own businesses, getting rid of the political opposition, taking over the media. Uh, we're, 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 we're checking off all the boxes here <laughs> of what the left well, in this country seems to be trying to do. Well, it's getting even better. Uh, the, the problem is that you have a country like those European countries, Romania included, which was not was an European country, was doing well for those types. And then it became a third world country because the socialists and the communists ran the economy into the ground. And he, as to survive, in order to survive, you had to do all kinds of things. My, both my parents worked, by the way, to make ends meet. Uh, food was scarce, clothes, shoes, cooking oil, almost all the necessities for life were not were hardly available. You know, the toilet paper, it was non-existent. Um, hmm. The lines were around the block. Uh, the you know the main foods for the Romanians was bread and potatoes. For crying out loud, by nine o'clock in the morning, if you didn't buy your bread in the morning, you didn't have bread for the day. So uh, and and everybody was constantly trying to negotiate how to find the next next food. Now the people did not starve exactly, and and I have to say that as a kid I never went to bed uh, uh, hungry because my parents took good care of me. And they managed. But when you have limited supplies and, and most of the time the shelves in the stores are empty, uh, meat, for example, uh, was allowed like two pounds per person uh, every two weeks. So I, too, waited in those long lines in cold or rain or heat holding a spot for my mom and dad so they can buy a few pounds of meat. Uh, now, of course, I never ate a steak back in Romania because the meat was too valuable to, to grill it. So you made soups out of it, so it lasts you a long time. Uh, so here's the thing, okay? Uh, isn't life, isn't uh, the life of Casio Cortez envisions for us all? You know, back then, back then there were no cars, only bicycles. So now she wants us with no cars, no cows or meat, just bread, right? <laughs> Bring yeah. us back into the same poverty and misery. Socialists, in, uh, it brings to every country their clutches on. And and it's interesting because if you if if you just learn a little bit about history, if you do a little bit of traveling, you can see the absurdity of these positions. This uh, panacea, this you know rain, rainbows and unicorn thought that we're just going to, you know, and then some people are talking about just everyone gets a check every month, whether they do anything or not. Uh, to me, that's going down the same road uh, as well. Um, but I want to get, I want to go back a little bit and talk about your own personal story, because at the time that you wanted to get out of the Soviet Union, you would not be allowed to just leave. In fact, as I read from the back jacket of your book, uh, this was a situation where if you tried to sneak out, you could be imprisoned or maybe even killed. But you had decided at some point you would rather die trying to get out than to stay there and be trapped in that system. Uh, tell us about the moment that you decided you wanted to escape and tell us what that process was and how you actually did get out. Sure. Now, for many people, it's incomprehensible to, to think that you cannot leave your country. Uh, 
That's not the case in socialist and communist countries. The countries are surrounded by a well-guarded border. Some places they have walls, some places they have fences with barbed wire. Uh, the whole border has high watchtowers, which are watching the fields to make sure that people don't escape. So basically, in a communist country, the, the state wants to keep you in, unlike the United States, which are trying to keep the people out. So what happened? I was obviously I, I lived only 18 years in Romania, and uh, uh, the first part of it, I was a kid, I did not understand anything. But as I was getting older, becoming a teenager, realizing more and more what a disaster this whole system was, and uh, probably I would not have never left if I didn't get in trouble uh, with the school uh, where they took us to some. A place to dig trenches as a volunteer work for the for the country, you know, for the honor of the country, for the benefit of the country, and they put us to sleep at night without blankets. Well, this is September in Romania. September is cold, so I organized with other classmates a small um, an attempt to a strike. Uh, now they compromised and they put us two people to sleep with one blanket until they brought more blankets to appease us. Uh, we finished the work. And I thought that was the end of it. However, that was hardly the end of it. They do not uh, accept any rebellion, whatever it is, as small as this was. Uh, you know, school students saying, we don't want to stay here if you don't give us blankets to, to be warm at night. So after we went back to school, I was called into principal's office and the principal and the state security police interrogated me. And uh, they found out that I was one of the culprits. And uh, basically, I was told that if I do anything like this in the future, I was going to be blackballed and prevented to go to university. Now, what's important about university? The only way you can have a little better life in, in communism is to have a good education. And because they pay a little bit more and the, uh, the job is cushier. So... I realized that what, what they were, that what they warned me. So I said, okay, I'll understand. I'll keep my mouth shut. And, uh, I continued to study hard to, to qualify to apply for university, which by the way was extreme competition, like 10 to 20 people per every seat. So it's not easy to get in the university, the so-called free universities. Well, when I realized that they actually started punishing me already, trying to bring my grades down, so I would never qualify to go to the university, I made up my mind that this is it. I got to leave this place. Now, here's the problem. You cannot leave a country without a passport. And if I would go to ask for a passport, they would have been arrested me, and I would be accused of planning to defect because I had no reason to leave the country. Passport was given to people who had a reason, a business reason, or for sport reasons, to, to go outside the country. So my second alternative was to cross the border illegally. And I use the word escape, not loosely, it's serious, because the entire country resembled a concentration camp. Down to the barbed wires, the dogs, the guns, the border was patrolled 24-7. Um, the chances of crossing the border back then was 5%. That means 95% all the people that attempted to cross the border were caught or shot. Not that many shot, but the vast majority was caught. 
Uh, then they were taken for interrogation, you know, to, uh, tortured, and then thrown in prison for a couple of years. Try again, you go to prison for five years, and so on until you never come out of prison for attempting to escape the, the hell that we're living in. So that was not a deterrent for me. Even that was not a deterrent for me. Uh, I needed to get out of there. So with a classmate, um, I already made plans, and with another classmate, we decided to run for the border. Now here the, the interesting, the, the story really starts. In a communist country, you cannot go into a border town or even in a town which is one town away from the border because the police will ask your ID and you'll be arrested. You're not allowed in the vicinity of the border. So what we did, we took a train and we got three towns before the border. And from there, we start walking toward the border. And the only way we knew where the border was, because I had no idea how the border, I, I, I feel a few things about it, I never saw it, were these tall watchtowers, about 100 feet tall. You could see them on the horizon. As a matter of fact, on the cover of the book, those poles over there, those towers, are those watchtowers. Okay, wow. And. And uh, uh, during the day, if you cross, I mean, we're, caught we're about to be caught several times <clears throat> because you are so visible in a field of wheat or in a plain field. So the only way to cross it was at, at night. So uh, the night we were trying to, to come up, go across, you know, uh, a flare, a green flare shot into the sky. Boy, it was daylight. Actually, we could see our shadows on the ground. We dropped on our on our belly. We stayed there and prayed that we didn't trigger that uh, that uh, uh, that uh, flash, and um, hopefully that we're not going to be caught. Now, what happened on our left side, as a matter of fact, a big uh, commotion began. Uh, more flares were were uh, were shot into the air. Uh, people were yelling. Dogs were barking. Uh, it, it was chaos what was happening over there and then I heard Kalashnikov guy, gunfire uh, shooting at something or something you know they might have shot in the air so the people would not run or they might have shot at people but it was obviously that some other people other desperados like us were trying to do the same thing but they were caught hmm. so that and was a distraction away from you you were th thinking at first maybe they saw you, but now someone else, some other poor individual was the one that was discovered, and you had a moment of, of them being distracted. Yes, God, God protected us because we stayed there hours afterwards, after it all quieted down, and then on our knees and elbows, we approached the, the border, and uh, late at night, we, we crossed the border. Uh, probably we managed to cross the border because the border patrols were asleep. You know, they were not supposed to sleep. They were supposed to bo uh, walk that border back and forth. Did you have to climb so over a one? Did you have to climb over a big wall or a, a razor wire or any of that? No, no, because in that uh, uh, area, it was an agricultural was agricultural land. But before approaching it, it was full of deep ditches, which we could uh, cannot could not come out of them, and other other impediments to prevent you from uh, trying to walk at night. In the daytime, they would catch you, but at night was very difficult. But somehow we managed to find these 
land which was free of any other uh, uh, detriments and we crossed the border. But now we crossed the border into another socialist country, Yugoslavia. So now we had to cross the entire Yugoslavia. It took us about a week to reach the other end at the border with Italy. And then we had to cross another communist, uh, communist socialist border. Fortunately, uh, the Yugoslavian border was not as patrolled as well. However, we were chased by uh, border patrols dogs. And probably they chased us into, into Italy because we were in Italy at dark and we didn't realize we were in Italy until the next morning when we came out and we saw these first indication this was Italy was the billboards and then the pavement on the, on the highways. And I said, this is not a communist country. Oh my God, wow. we're free. Oh my, you won't believe the feeling you have when you know you expect the terror of communism. And I know, I know. In the book, you get into a lot more details about that journey, and we're just sort of oh, yeah. uh, picking picking out some different spots to to talk about in the short visit that we have. And for those just tuning in, the book is called "Escape from Communism: A True Story and Commentary." Our guest tonight is Dumitru Sandru. And uh, we're going to continue with the story here for a few more moments. His book is available uh, on Amazon. Is that right, sir? It's on Amazon and the major sites. Amazon. Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, you can have it as an ebook and a uh, paper book. Um, and for all my books, you can visit my website, Sandru, S-A-N-D-R-U.com. Okay, now you're in Italy. Um, two big questions that I have. What happens to the rest of your family now that is left behind? Because isn't this one of the dissentives also that... If you were to somehow as an individual get away, then maybe they would uh, have reprisals for your family that's left behind. My family and my friends were all interrogated by the police, by the secret police, by the state police, to find out if anyone knew what I was planning to do and if they were involved in any way for helping me to cross the border. Now, it was not like in North Korea, where the relatives were sent to a concentration camp as well if if their one of their family escaped uh, that did not happen and they didn't find anything wrong doing on the side of my parents or my my friends uh, or my cousins and so on so but they were thoroughly in interrogated uh, all the neighbors in my neighborhood were interrogated no one knew what i intended to do uh, I kept it a very good secret not to, uh, you know, tell anyone what I was planning to do, with the exception of two people, my girlfriend and my best friend. Uh, and they uh, sweat a lot through all those interrogations trying to say that they had no idea what I was planning to do. But they, uh, after, by the way, after uh, the school started, they had a big meeting and uh, they were told all kinds of lies about me. The fact that uh, although I managed to escape, now I was homeless and desperate in, in, uh, in Italy. And I was begging the government to let me come back and, and so on. All kinds of lies to convince other students like myself not to try what I tried. To try to discourage them. Now, what year about was this when you made your escape? Well, uh, they, this was in 1971. 1971. Okay, very good. Now, what actually did happen when you got to Italy? I 
you know, was Italy at that time welcoming refugees with open arms and they would assist you and help you to re-establish uh, a life there? Uh, what was yes. the um, the environment? Yes. Uh, fortunately, at that time, the Iron Curtain was in place. And United States and all the free countries, the Western countries, were uh, uh, given a were allowing uh, political asylum for people like me. So in Italy, I asked for uh, political asylum, and then I was taken to a refugee camp, and then uh, I was provided for, and uh, they told me, okay, you're a refugee, where do you want to go? So I applied to come to the United States, and uh, there is a story about that too, but we don't have enough time to go into all the nitty-gritty details. Right, of you ending uh, up in the United States, and and um, because we want people to get the book, we don't need to tell them everything, but uh, if we can just tell them a little bit about your life today. So um, if I can ask you, how old of a man are you today, and uh, what has your life been for almost 50 years, I guess, uh, you've been free. Uh, yep. Did you did you have a family, children, grandchildren? What career did you go into? Give us uh, the the uh, sort of the latest update on your on your life now that you're here. Certainly, uh, I'm 66, 66 years old. Uh, I was 18 when I came to this country. I arrived in 1972. Um, right away, um, I had to go to work, which was no problem. Uh, at times, I held two full-time jobs. I lived for a period of time in New York City. New York, actually, not New York City. It was was uh, Queens. And then afterwards, I moved to California. Uh, I went to school. Uh, I uh, started uh, doing – I'm talented uh, dra drafting-wise. So I became a draftsman, and that's how I started my professional career. Uh, I went to school, I went to university, I got a degree at night in uh, engineering, uh, I got married, um, I, we bought a house, we had two girls, and, you know, dog and cat, did all the things, uh, I became a, uh, a citizen, uh, by the way, and we did all the things a, a citizen needs to do to serve, in a way, to be part of the country, to serve their country. Um, I... Uh, have to say, going back to the fact that the United States accepted someone like me, which I was very young, no skills, hardly spoke any English. And I believe that all immigrants coming to the United States have to bring something to this country. Now, you may wonder, why, what did I bring to the United States? Because I had no skills, I had no profession, I had no money. Uh, what did I bring? Well, I had a strategic value. And that strategic value was for me to inform the people back home how different capitalists is than what they, they are told. And uh, it is not only that what I told them, after a year being in the United States, I bought my car. Impossible to buy a car back then. And after five years in the United States, I bought my house. Wow. Nobody could buy a house. In five you didn't illegally going, uh, storm the border down. here with a Romanian flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, this is it, what they do now. They, they they come from Mexico telling you how terrible it is to Mexico. They want to be here. They come with the Mexican flag and they say that we should be like it is there. I, it's just I don't understand people. If you if you I, if you don't like it there. And this is the same thing now that's happening in our country. We have these blue states 
like I'm from Chicago, but I've lived in Florida for many years now. And everyone in Chicago is complaining. The taxes keep going up. The services keep going down. The liberal Democrats are destroying our state, blah, blah, blah. Then they move here to Welcome Florida. To uh, well, yes, sir. Then they move here to Florida and they want to vote for all those same people that ruined Illinois uh, here in Florida. I, I, they, it's like a failure to connect the dots to see where, you know, gun free Chicago, for example, uh, has had 37 shootings this weekend. It will not be reported on any of the national news because they don't want to admit that this gun policy is a failure. The idea of, of banning guns in the city of Chicago, you're not even allowed to legally carry pepper spray for self-defense as, as a, a woman. If you're you know working late at night, you, you can have nothing for self-defense and they, yet they have all of this violence. So they're unwilling to, our media is unwilling to cover this, but it is interesting the difference between your attitude as an immigrant and many of the um, entitlement attitudes of immigrants today that are coming here not to contribute something, but they're coming here demanding something uh, for themselves. And, and here you are, you came, you bought a car, you got a job, you, you bought a house, you went to college, you got your college education, you had a career uh, and, and all of that. Now, and one last question, what happened to the rest of the Sandrew family? So you made it here. Once the uh, Soviet Union uh, collapsed in uh, the late 80s, was it possible for the rest of your family to uh, make the escape as well? Or uh, did your parents, for example, did they live out their lives uh, under communism? Yeah. Uh, what happened is that uh, I had a younger sister. My sister is 15 years younger than I am. She was born under Ceausescu's uh, decree that there were no more uh, abortions allowed because that was in back in communist Romania that was the only way to prevent uh, uh, births. So, because he needed more kids, the population was stagnating. So since my sister was so much younger, uh, I asked my parents if they want to come and join me in the United States, and they said yes. So I applied. And I brought them in to United States, my parents and my sister. And um, they came in 1981. And uh, they live now uh, in Hollywood. My, my father passed away. And my sister and my mom live in Hollywood. My sister graduated uh, uh, at UCLA, uh, has a, a, a you know professional job in the, in the entertainment and movie industry, Hollywood industry. So they're, they're doing well. Um, of course, uh, like anybody else, uh, I'm looking for my welfare and my family's welfare. And uh, uh, one thing is for sure is that when they came here in the early 80s already, uh, they, they worked, both of them, both my parents worked, and they heard about other people. Uh, by then, the welfare system has loosened up a lot. When I came, by the way, in 72 United States, I was told, you're not going to get any assistance from the government, period. Understand that. I, I want to work, obviously. Now my parents were working. Says, I heard about other people coming here from uh, other countries that are on welfare. What's that? <laughs> I, said, I said, they're not working, so the, the, the government helps them out. That's ridiculous. Why are they working? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like they, such they a foreign ethics. concept. Uh, it's yeah, been so good having you with us, sir. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on all that. We're just like uh, lining up politically and everything. Did you ever have a chance uh, to go back to your home country uh, as an American citizen to see the, the, the change that has taken place? Have you ever had that journey? Yes, I did. First time I returned was in 2006 after, what, 35 years? Uh, I, was, I never wanted to go back there until the communist, communist collapsed. And I went there when the country now was a democracy. And I was astounded how the country has changed uh, economically. Politically, that's a different story. Uh, but economical exchange has changed to a degree where it was just another European country where there were no shortages, Every, everything was available. As a matter of fact, in my hometown, there was this big billboard, uh, Chevrolet, said on it. <laughs> I said, my God, Chevrolet, the ultimate imperial American car Well, you know, many of the these East... Many of these uh, former East Bloc, you know, uh, communist countries are now filled with uh, computer coders and programmers. And that's a big technology area now, isn't it? Yes, it is, because under the communists, the, in, uh, in, uh, the education was very strong and very strict. Uh, I'm sorry to say that nowadays uh, it's, it's lacking just like everywhere else. And... Uh, I mentioned the fact that the political situation currently is that I went again a year ago in Romania. I spoke to a lady uh, in Romania, and I said, you know, I thought it's going to take about a generation before people start thinking uh, differently, like like Westerners, like free market uh, countries. And and she had a point which was very interesting, and she said, you know, it's going to take more than a generation. Our old generation has to die away because generations and generations that grew up under socialism, their work culture was destroyed. They got used to be taken care of by the state. And nowadays, all these old people look at the state to provide for them. And the young people don't understand that you have to work. The, the government cannot provide you the way they did, and they provide very low. So this entire culture has to be, frankly, to perish away. Because before all these ex-communist countries are going to be truly at the level of the rest of the of Europe. Now, luckily, they are a part of the EU, so it's a lot easier right now to have ideas and goods flow back and forth between those countries, among those countries. What a fascinating story. The book is Escape from Communism, a true story and commentary. The book is available on Amazon as a paperback, also as a Kindle version. Dumitru Sandru, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sir. We hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you very much. And God bless thank you. Thank uh, what you. A, what a story. What a story. Uh, I I enjoyed that. And it was almost like... I forgot I was doing a radio show here and listening to this guy's story. And it just gave me chills when he started to share the details of how communism, how they take control. They take control of the media, of religion. Uh, they accuse leaders falsely, imprison them. And he's ticking off all these things. And I'm, 
I'm just getting chills because they take over the, the media. This is what the left's plan is here. It, it is amazing that we live in the freest country in the world and that we have elected officials here saying that other systems are better than ours. Uh, if you love it so much, I know this is controversial, right? Send her back. This is what uh, everybody was upset about uh, with uh, the people chanting at the Trump rally, send her back. Uh, but, but really, you know, what's wrong with, with really asking that question? If this isn't the greatest country in the world, what's keeping you here? I mean, what is keeping you here? What a fantastic book. A great visit there tonight. Uh, this would be a great book for a young person. A lot of history in here and uh, told from the uh, perspective of his actual journey, uh, escaping from Romania. Fascinating interview. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next week. So long, everybody.